Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. The funny thing about quests is you don't know you're on them right away. You like start collecting the pieces of the quest and then you're like, wait a second. I think I'm on a quest. I think I'm going to set a goal. And the first quest I remember setting for myself was, it must have been when I was about a teenager. I had been to about half the states. And I was like, I think I can go to all the states before I turn 30. And so then it became a matter of orchestrating travel around getting one state or a cluster of states. In a way, it, it makes travel more sacred in a way because it's in service of the quest itself. So everything becomes kind of like a pilgrimage and there's more intentionality behind it. Yeah, it's just a wonderful game you can play that just gives a a structure to, to whatever it is you're probably already doing anyway. That is Derek Loudermilk, today's guest, talking about how a quest, travel-related or otherwise, can add value to your life. And perhaps you'll come out of this episode with an idea for a quest of your own. We get into a lot more in this conversation. You're going to hear it all right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. So excited to have you here and talking to my friend Derek Loudermilk, who has a podcast of his own called The Derek Loudermilk Show. We'll link up to everything in the show notes so you can find all of his work. Fascinating guy. We talk about a trip we were on together fairly recently, so you hear a bit about that. And what caught my attention was a post he put out there having just completed a metaphysical techniques quest, a hundred different things he tried out, stuff like lucid dreaming, astral projection, telekinesis, all this telepathy, all this type of stuff. And 
you know, I'm sure the uh, the antennas are going off right now as the skeptic in you starts to go on high alert. You'll hear Derek talk about <laughs> UFOs and some other stuff. Anyway, before we get into that part of the conversation, which you'll hear later in the interview, I just wanted to share a clip from the chat. Here's what Derek had to say. So you can go into this with an open mind. Yeah, you don't have to believe me about anything. And if you're listening and something feels really true or right or exciting for you, that's probably something to pay attention to. And if something, if you just want to reject it outright, then by all means do that too. So there you go. Just something to consider when we go into the metaphysical portion of this conversation. But we talked about some of Derek's other travel-related quests, and he shared his ideas of letting go of stories about yourself and the world. It's really stuff that you can pull out and use in your life right now. And that's what Derek does. He's a professional adventurer, quantum business coach, he calls himself, and he, quote, helps people do things that have never been done before and make their lives the most amazing adventure possible. We'll link up to all of his work in the show notes. So I hope you pull out what you need from this chat. I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter before we get into this zero to travel.com slash newsletter. We can keep in touch off the podcast. It's free. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Derek, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. I'm thinking we're going to have a good time today, man. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> what, what are you thinking? Or wait, what am I thinking? There you go. Wait, you can tell me what, what I'm thinking, can't you? I should be able to. I should be able to. <laughs> Why do I even ask anymore? <laughs> <laughs> It's good to see you, man. I, I should formally say, Derek Loudermilk, welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. We got a lot to talk about today. Jason, yeah, thank you. Good to, good to see you again as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, the last time we saw each other was in person, which we'll, I'll talk about in a minute. But I should mention, you have a wonderful podcast yourself, The Derek Loudermilk Show, Adventure, Entrepreneurship, Spirituality, Science, and Peak Performance, all wrapped and rolled into one giant delicious all at once podcast burrito right <laughs> exactly <laughs> how you doing man i mean i i congratulations i'm going to talk about the three b's here on on the front end i'm going to start with the baby you got a baby a new baby a third baby a new baby yep yeah Four congratulations man thank you how old is he now right so you're, it's a son it's a boy yeah it's a boy four months old it was like really easy at first and now it's starting to get to be a handful. So <laughs> <laughs> you're in the thick of it now. The like, uh, deciding not to sleep in the nighttime kind of thing. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, I appreciate you doing this cause you have some sickness going on right now and a four month old and all, all that stuff. It's, it's crazy. I mean, what do you do to kind of unwind if you have a moment or some moments to yourself, what do you like? You know, when I was in college, I was running the cross-country team, and I had such a full schedule of other extracurriculars that I was became a master at naps. I can do a 20-minute nap and get like four hours of sleep in. Really? And that's actually really helpful because like I can sleep on a train or a, in a taxi or on a plane, you know, like any transportation anywhere in the world, like I'm probably sleeping, which... <laughs> Also makes the trip go way faster. <laughs> if you see a handsome, sleeping, bearded man, 
it's probably Derek. Don't wake him up. Whatever you do. <laughs> oh, it's funny. My sister has a, a whole nap routine. She has like these. I remember, you know, because I, I last time I spent time with her, and she she showed me she had like this heavy blanket, and then this goggle set. It was like a whole routine she did, and then she would lay down. They have put, these weighted blankets. Yeah, that, yeah, it was yeah. that, and and like eye mask and and a thing, and I guess it would just trigger her into these fantastic naps. I'm a little jealous. I've never been a a napper in that way. <laughs> I remember when I was like 15, and. It was actually, we were traveling. Uh, I was traveling with my family. We went out to Forks, Washington, which is where the Twilight series was, took place or filmed, or I think it's where it was set. Anyway, we were out there and I went for this long run and I had this epiphany while I was running about how to fall asleep instantly. And I still remember it because I came back and I was so excited to tell my dad. I was like, I figured it out. I figured out how to fall asleep. And he's like, okay, whatever. But it involves this process of me like falling through the bed, like gravity pulling me down into the bed and it's, it works every time. It takes like 90 seconds and you're asleep. So you visualize yourself getting pulled into the bed kind of? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I discovered that when I was 15 because wow. I, I have this very active brain, which would keep me up until I figured it out. We're going to talk about your metaphysical quest because this is one of the things that you posted this and I saw it because we're buddies on social media. And I was like, this is this is pretty interesting. And we're going to get into that in a second. We still got to do two more Bs, Derek. I got two more Bs okay. if you did the baby. Mm-hmm. No, I kind of wanted to frame that up a bit because I think that there's a lot of value in just quests in general. If you're listening to this, whether you're into metaphysical or not, this idea, the way you posted it was... I wish I copied and pasted the verbiage. I did copy and paste the 100 different metaphysical techniques that you that you posted. But, you know, even if you're not a metaphysical a believer in metaphysics, would I say, or whatever we talk about today, I think that the, the idea of the quest, improving your life and functioning as a journey is a, is a powerful one. So I just want to let people know we're going to we're going to dive into that. I mentioned Bulgaria. We, we met up. We did a ski trip in Bulgaria together. I was just curious because it's always interesting as a traveler, you have your own inner experience when you're traveling and then you're, you know, you're with the group and whatever, and there's a group dynamic. I mean, that's one of the beauties of sharing travel with people, right? Like months later or years later, you can talk about the trip. And so I'm just curious how, how the trip was from your perspective. <laughs> we did a ski trip in Bulgaria. What did you think about the country, the skiing? Yeah. Yeah. Bulgaria. It's so funny. I was just talking to someone the other day. And I was drinking out of a, I got a souvenir Bulgarian mug and I was, had met this person. Um, she's one of my co-authors on a book I'm uh, writing and I was drinking out of it. She's like, is that a, is that Bulgarian uh, ceramic? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I'm in Bansko right now. I was like, no way. Oh, really? So, um, yeah, you know that, that trip and we were like everyone on the trip was kind of saying like, wow, this is so easy. Usually when you have a big group of people, there's always one or two people who are holding people back or, or they're like the ones who show up later or, or whatever. And it was kind of unbelievable how chill everyone was and how seamless, you know, sometimes you get bad luck, right? And it, we just had, we just had all the good luck, you know, powder day when we wanted it. And um, yeah, it was just really fantastic. And um, like when we flew into Sofia and that first night, um, kind of just walking around the town and seeing the sunset and actually the mountains are, 
you can see them from the middle of the business district in Sofia. So they're like right there. Um, very beautiful. And just seeing like tens of thousands of Sofia residents out on the town, enjoying togetherness. It really contrasted to where I live in the States where there's a lot of people in their own homes, maybe not even knowing their neighbors in their neighborhood or not that many of them. And I just remembered, you know, like how, how so much of the world developed that togetherness, you know, without the parking lots and the cars and things like that. And I, uh, it's great to have those types of comparisons, right? That's one of the beauties of, of travel is just to see like, wow, everyone is basically forced out of their home. They live in these small apartments. They're forced outside into community. And, and there's, you know, a hundred different bar restaurants on this little strip. And it was really nice to see. Yeah. That's a perfect example of something that I had noticed gatherings and things like that, but I hadn't really thought about it in that way. And I guess, yeah, in the U.S. is that, I don't know, what is that a function of? Obviously, it's it's way spread out, so that's how it developed. But I don't know, kind of in many ways, poor planning over a long period of time in a way. Yeah, a lot of these places in the States, you know, grew up without um, thinking about walkability because of the automobile. So it's just structured differently. The focus is the roads rather than the walking uh, routes. Yeah. You live in Missouri. What's your daily life look like? What do you, what do you like about living there? Yeah, I live in the city right now and we actually live just a few, few doors down from the, it's like a little community business district, maybe like 10 blocks of businesses, restaurants, you know, my, my barber, my post office, my library, my grocery store, all two blocks away. So it's pretty convenient, um, here. And there's a bunch of, uh, homeless people and people on drugs, like right down the street from me. And it's so you get, you get both together. Yeah. You know, you see over just from doing this so long, you talk to people that, or have been nomadic, or they traveled for years and years. And I think ultimately that journey comes to say an end or maybe a temporary end. And it seems to me, at least from the, from what I've seen and, and, you know, what I've been surrounded with, it's because of the craving for community more than anything, I would say. Wanting to kind of have the normalcy of uh, the daily life and, and build the community, which is kind of you travel and then you're driven by the newness and the, and the wandering and the exploration. But then it all kind of circles back in some ways. <laughs> we slowed down. We were living in Portugal and we were about to move to Transylvania. And my wife was like, actually, no, I want a garden. And the garden is the one thing actually that you can't sort of take with you. Um, we actually found that it's easier to build community as a traveler than it is Maybe it's just this city uh, of St. Louis, but, and of course there was a pandemic to consider, but it's been harder to build community here than anywhere else in the whole world. And I'm so surprised by that. Hmm. Why do you think that is? I think it's because people have, they're still friends with the kids they grew up with because it's very like people have the teachers that their parents had at the same school their parents went to. Um, that's the case for my kids right now as well. Um, <laughs> but they have their groups and they've been friends with them for decades and they just, they're not interested in new friends perhaps. Um, or, or it's just that 
the interests of people traveling are often more aligned. So it's much easier to find a large number of, of people that are all right on the same page versus here, people are concerned with all manner of things that you know I don't really care about. So, Of course, everybody's different, but if you walk into a hostel or something like that, you kind of know in, on some level there is a commonality, right? You're all in a foreign country together on the most basic level or you know, if you're willing to, to put up with a dorm room situation, then maybe that's a certain kind of person that could tolerate certain style of travel. I don't know. Kind of coming from both sides as a, as a long-term traveler. And then now you have kids as a father and then seeing how the community is there. Do you think you want to do the kind of, hey, we're going to, I know this can change, of course, but hey, we're going to kind of have the stable community thing for them and they're going to go to the same school or, you know, we're not going to move around too much. And then when they're a little bit older, then we can branch out or do a gap year or something like that. Like what's your kind of philosophical approach to that? Yeah. And I interviewed a bunch of, before we had kids or when we had our first kid, I was interviewing friends who had grown up sort of military moving around a lot or had just moved a lot just to see comparing their childhood versus my childhood, which was, you know, I had the same friends all the way through. Uh, I went to a couple schools, but basically my elementary school friends, I still like hung out with yesterday. Long-term friendships, you there's there's no way to shortcut that. Like you have to start them at some point. And if you're moving around, um, you sort of miss on that. Um, but half of the people that I talked to that, you know, lived 20 different places before high school because their dad was in the military or whatever, half of them hated it because their friendships were getting broken up. And the other half loved it because they felt it it made them more social. It made them uh, go deeper more quickly with people. It it also strengthened their family unit. So it increased, you know, how um, the families could rely on each other. So I think you can go, you can have a beautiful experience either way. Um, so we're definitely planning to, we're, we're thinking about um, our kids now are four months, five and seven, and we're thinking of spending a year abroad next year because now they're old enough to at least the older two are to old enough to sort of remember if if we actually live abroad that, that'll sink in a little bit more okay well hey we should keep in touch about that because i'm i'm sort of targeting january 2025 thinking about kicking it off with a safari family type safari thing if anybody's interested in teaming up with that i don't know we'll, we'll see i used to work promotional events and we would do a lot of events on army bases and i had a very similar experience talking to people there about growing up and it was about half and half that like you said so it's hard to know what is the quote-unquote right thing to do i was like you yeah, i had long-term elementary school friends and things like that. But now I live in Norway and I don't get to see any of them, but we still have that connection. So I did promise another B before we talk about quests and uh, I, I needed to come up with another B word. The baby was obvious. I had to ask about the baby, the Bulgaria trip. And then I was like, well, I need another B word for Derek. And then I thought of breathtaking. And I was wondering outside of witnessing your children's birth which might be an obvious breathtaking moment for a lot of people. Can you think of a moment recently that maybe literally took your breath away or just that you felt, wow, this is, this is a breathtaking moment. My brain is flashing me all these beautiful sunrises and like mountaintop scenes, but I'm just going to go, I'm just going to jump off the deep end. Uh, since we're, we're about to talk metaphysics. 
I, uh, there was a UFO hovering over my house uh, about two months ago and I went out to take the trash out. And I, you know, like when you do, when you take the trash out, you look up at the stars and you're like, have your little trash moment. And there is a constellation and I was looking at it and there was like three bright stars. And I was like, wow, that's, I don't know that constellation. That's interesting. I was thinking about getting my, uh, my phone out to see what constellation it was with my sky map. And then one of the stars just zipped, zipped away. And I was like, oh, that was a UFO. And it was so fast and, and just so surreal that I, I, I don't know. I'm still dumbfounded by the experience because um, I thought for sure it was just a star because it was just hovering in place and it was just a you know globe of light, kind of bright, like a, you would see a planet rather than a star maybe. And then just zipped away and I was like, There's, that's nothing else it could be is other than a, a UFO. So that was pretty, uh, pretty rad. Yeah, I mean, UFOs, unidentified flying objects. So literally, that would be the definition of it, right? Like, you don't know what that flying object is. It's going way too fast, faster than anything right. else and can go. Maybe so we should call it a UAP. Yeah. Because the, the new term is UAP, and there's less uh, baggage with that, I suppose. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. I saw an argument from a 
gosh, I just blanked out on his name. What, what's the famous astrophysicist? Not uh, Einstein, but uh, you know, some modern day. Michio Kaku is pretty. No. Um, he wrote Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. Anyway, I, 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 saw, I saw an argument from him where he said, I hadn't thought about this, but he said that, why, why does everybody assume that a, new, a UFO would be a carbon-based life form? It could be, you know, AI or some, you know, something else completely. And I, I don't know, I just hadn't thought of that before. What's your take? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of... Um because I've, you know, had at this point a uh, metaphysical quest, uh, encountered lots of weird stuff. And, um, you know, some UFOs are meant to be metal physical crafts. And some of them are just light plasma, which is kind of like what I probably saw. Um, so it would be a less of a physical thing or it'd be kind of physically in and out of this dimension. Um less solid perhaps anyway there's there's infinite possibilities theoretically of what uh life could be so yeah all right well let's let's get into that because i want i want to talk about some of your background and how this matches up but let's just talk about i do think it's important to talk about quests because when i saw this the first thing i thought was well first of all i looked at the list and i was like this is insane all this stuff and i just to give people a sneak preview it's telepathy you know some of them telepathy animal communication um, some you've probably heard of, like Reiki or astral projection. You know, other things you probably haven't heard of. I don't know what neurofeedback is, or I've heard of laughing yoga. Anyway, but th- there's this whole list of 100 things, and I, I thought, well, this is this is just cool that you had this intention to go down this rabbit hole, and then you completed it. And I'm just wondering, you know, metaphysics aside and things like that, what did what did being on a quest like that, where you set an intention, you're like, I want to do these things and now I'm going to go do them. How, how did that improve your life? And I'm kind of fishing for maybe just advice for anybody else that might be, you know, maybe it's their version of that. Like I'm going to knit, you know, 25 different articles of, uh, clothing, you know, whatever, you know, they want to go on their own quest and use it as a, as a, another way of traveling in some way. Right. I don't know. I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Cause I, I think you have some, interesting perspectives on that. Yeah. The funny thing about quests is you don't know you're on them right away. You like start collecting the pieces of the quest and then you're like, wait a second. I think I'm on a quest. I think I'm going to set a goal. And the first quest I remember setting for myself was, it must've been when I was about a teenager, I had been to about half the States and I was like, I think I can go to all the States before I turn 30. And so then it became uh, a matter of orchestrating travel around getting one state or a cluster of states. You know, like actually the hardest state to get was Delaware because it's not on the way to anything. You have to take a side trip from another trip just to get there. Um, so, you know, Hawaii and Alaska are both out of the way, but you you know, they're worth going on their own. So yeah, Delaware and Alaska were my last couple of states. And I did that quest right before I turned 30. I finished it. Um, So it gives you these constraints, right? But it also, um, instead of just haphazardly touring around the country, it forces you to experience a breadth of different experiences. Um, And in a way, it's, 
it makes travel more sacred in a way because it's in service of the quest itself. So everything becomes kind of like a pilgrimage and there's more intentionality behind it. Um, and so, you know, since then I have a, an ongoing quest to live on all six inhabited continents at least three months or more. And, and you know, the reason that is, is just when you spend at least three months in a, in a place, you start to get to know your, your grocer or your local restaurant owner or your barber or whatever, and you understand really what the cadence of life is like in a place. So to really experience the whole globe, I said, well, let's just live on every continent. Um, so we've lived on four right now. We've got South America and Africa left. And so, yeah, I mean, Chris Gillibo has written, he wrote a book about quests, which is, which is a great book. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just a wonderful game you can play and uh, that just gives a, a structure to, to whatever it is you're probably already doing anyway. Is it the experience itself just a bit more fulfilling in a different way for you personally? It forces you to get creative sometimes. It forces you to bring the best of yourself in order to, you know, find the right pieces for the quest. I know people that try to go to every country, they often, their best stories are like, how did I get a visa to Equatorial Guinea or something like that, where they don't let you in or something, you know, and, th and that, that becomes the story of the quest, even though I'm sure Paris was nice. Um, but it, it, it forces you to have that variety. Yeah. Do you have other quests that you haven't shared that are kind of ongoing or that are developing? No, just the, just the continent. That's the only open quest. I'm trying to think if I had another, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to, uh, you know, I completed the quest in July, the metaphysical quest, and I've done like two or three more since then. So it's, it's not like I just stopped doing anything interesting or new after that, but there's definitely like, I can, I can let off the gas pedal. Like I don't have to try anymore to, to seek out novelty in that way. I guess seeking out novelty, yeah, it's a way to force it in some ways, I guess, right? Because you you have to travel to Delaware, for example. Yeah, and right? I had, um, <laughs> that was actually a life-changing experience um, because I became vegetarian for a year after going to Delaware. Uh, because when you go to the East Coast, a lot of places you can get lobster or crab, and we got a Delaware crab bake or boil or something where we had this huge pile of crabs and we had to physically crack open the bodies of the crabs to get the meat out. And it just really hit me. And I was like, I am just destroying the bodies of these animals and just consuming them. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like a barbarian. So I became a vegetarian for about a year uh, just because I wasn't sure if I could handle destroying animals for consumption. I eat meat now, um, but it's, but it's, turned very much into like a, the same way the Native Americans, you know, say a prayer when they kill an animal. Like I make sure I'm giving, giving a deep thanks whenever I'm consuming meat. Can you explain metaphysics in a way? Yeah. Your, your interpretation of what, what it is that makes up metaphysical practices or 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so physics and metaphysics are, are together. They're, it's all just physics, but metaphysics is sort of the invisible physics um, that, so phenomenon that haven't been described by our normal three-dimensional physics, like uh, Newtonian, Einsteinian physics, they only cover so much. Uh, metaphysics would be like the rest of that physics, but it's all fundamental laws of the universe. Like nothing can happen in the universe unless it's part of the way the universe works. So metaphysics is just um, sort of talking about physics in a in a way that um, actually a lot of ancient cultures already knew and then we forgot it. So it's kind of remembering and integrating the physics, basically the physics of consciousness with uh, Newtonian Cartesian three-dimensional physics. This is kind of an aside, but you're a quantum business coach. And so, and you, and one of the things you talk about is quantum entrepreneurship and how, how is that related? How is, you know, some of the, let's say the uh, more earthly pursuits like business or entrepreneurship, how do you, how do you tie those two things together? Cause I think that's a really interesting part of your work is how you kind of combine those things. And, you know, Again, as we get into this, like, I don't think that, yeah, well, we can talk about skepticism and things like that maybe afterwards, but yeah, just, just talk about how the, how you figured out for yourself, how to merge those interests together. Yeah. I've been coaching for 20 years and and doing business entrepreneurship for about 12 and, uh, this metaphysical quest started eight years ago. Um, so that's just, you know, whatever I'm interested in, I, I, I blend together. Um, cause often you can, in a, in a marketplace, you can become a monopoly. You can become the only person doing what you're doing. If you, if you blend enough unique, um, processes together, um, that's something you might learn in a business class, for example. Um, but when I say quantum quantum really means like we're talking about quantity and in quantum physics, when you think of the electrons around an ab- an atom, in order for an electron to jump to the next level, that's a specific amount of energy. It's a quantum of energy. So it's basically the electron is here and then it's here. There is no traveling in between. It's not like the electron is climbing up the corporate ladder to get to the higher charge state. It's just here or there. And so that's a type of reality that doesn't follow this common human experience where we like travel through linear time. We like work our way up through achievement. We get our ducks in a row. Um, It's an approach to business and life where anything can happen basically instantly. And that forces you to work from infinite possibility. So it, it removes limitation um, from how you do business business and how you conduct your affairs, which opens up a lot of possibility for creativity and innovation and um, just moving a lot quicker than your brain might tell you you think you need to go. If you think about the the science that has taken place over generations, right? You think about people used to think that the earth was the center of the universe and they realized it, it wasn't. And people used to think time was a static thing and then Einstein and all this stuff. So of course, to me, it makes a lot of sense that there are still hidden things <laughs> that people haven't figured out yet. What some of those things are, I, I guess that that's my next question is how do you, 
because there you have a hundred things here, right? So there's all these things you can do, but maybe you can't do some of them. We don't know because some of them are unproven or educate me here. This is what I'm looking for is, uh, you know, for those things that are not scientifically proven, do you look at those? Are you just open to everything or are there certain parameters that you see as, okay, or is it just on a case by case like this has potential because of this, you know, law of physics or when you dig into one of these things, cause you've dug into a hundred of them now, I guess what's your, what's your process. And maybe through this, we can, people can get some other tips on, you know, whatever they're dissecting. I'm just curious how you, your brain tackles this stuff. Yeah. So I was trained as a scientist, uh, biology, microbiology, virology, and science is a useful tool up to a point. Um, but it's limited um, because science believes you can basically exclude variables and just observe a single thing. But uh, we know because the universe is entangled and that when you begin to observe something, it behaves differently than when you're not observing it uh, through the double slit experiment, for example, um, that science... Uh, it all has to be taken with a grain of salt because as soon as you observe something, it changes. And the way that I like to think about physical reality matter, like the hard stuff that we're made of is that, um, we are creating it in real time. So it's a byproduct of consciousness. Consciousness is fundamental and the physical world is basically just a byproduct of it. And so as we change our consciousness, as we change our beliefs, as we change our, you know, whatever we're focusing on, the material world changes. This was proven by the Nobel Prize in Physics last year that the universe is not locally real. That is, it's not resolved until we perceive it. Um, so even though science is a um, sometimes tool that's not up to the task, you can, you can use it to confirm certain things like, uh, what I just shared. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go back to something you said before being 15 and running and then having this epiphany about how to fall asleep. And I, I feel like there's some uh, element of mysticalness, mysticism to you in some ways. And uh, I'm just wondering if that's something you agree with. Is that something that has been a part of you for your life journey? And maybe it's just you've been able to look back and tie it together later. I'm just wondering if this type of interest or these this, this whole metaphysical world has been sort of innate as a part of your life journey. Uh, I've come to understand that it has been more part of my life, but I didn't realize it until just recently. For example, I had an invisible friend when I was a kid. A lot of kids do. Um, but I didn't realize that that was actually real um, until recently and understand how that works. But um, the the kids who and the people who have more access to their um, sort of the full understanding of their consciousness people that are naturally psychic or things like that, a lot of times they're just programmed a bit less than the rest of people. So we're not born with any particular beliefs or programming, but our families and our churches and our schools and our cultures 
do do the most you know they brainwash us since birth basically to fit in with whatever structures that we need to fit in with you know you're going to learn this language you're going to learn this math you're going to learn whatever it is um that's all programming it's you didn't come with any yet it's just programmed here once you arrive so the less programming that you have usually it's easier to access more of your total awareness which is a lot what of these things are um, are just people accessing their innate abilities and sort of programming just restricts people to to a degree so for you to explore these things you had to do some deprogramming i guess how do, how does one deprogram exactly if you think about this from a practical perspective for whatever you want to do you know using travel as an example the the idea of taking a year to travel might be like sound insane to somebody's family who's listening and and then now they need to deprogram their own upbringing to make that sane and then to also perhaps get people on board or at least get their head around it and have the conversation so yeah yeah, and if you land in a, in a country where they drive on the wrong side of the road and the pale, the the mailboxes are a different color and they're eating spicy food and it's all just so new and you're you grew up a certain way thinking life had to be in a certain way and then you see that it's different, all of your programs get shattered right then and there. So travel is actually a really wonderful um unlocking mechanism for a lot of people in that regard. So back to the original question for you to deprogram, what did that look like? Yeah, it's just a matter of uh, being willing to let go of beliefs. So just holding them very lightly and, and not getting attached to any particular belief one way or the other. And this also means beliefs about yourself, beliefs about how good or bad of a person you are, beliefs about what your childhood meant for who you are today, both good and bad. So the hardest thing for me actually was giving up my stories of being good at stuff. My stories that I'm like smart or athletic, um, being willing to just let those go as well, since they're very helpful for me. Um, and whatever is true will of course just stick around anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a process of just um, sort of relaxing how tightly I hold to whatever I thought was uh, the way that the world was. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and <laughs> immediately... I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, 
you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. How would you speak to somebody listening right now who's going to be skeptical of the next part of this conversation that Derek can, or maybe perhaps you have or have not found a way to communicate with animals, for example, or you know some of the things we're going to go through on this list. Yeah, what do you say? I've done a lot of research. Actually, a lot of the telepathy, animal communication, remote viewing has actually been really well studied. Um, when I started getting into that, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to do a fun science project and, and publish and prove telepathy. It turns out telepathy was proven 75 years ago, and there's been 10,000 or more studies around all of this stuff. And it's really well documented, and you just have to go and read the scientific literature. So that was uh, like, obviously, I didn't know that until I read the literature. And I think a lot of people, until they read the literature about whether it's telepathy or, you know, cancer research, they have no idea what the cutting edge is. So sometimes it just takes bringing yourself up to speed about the current body of knowledge. Um, But some things you won't believe until you do. That is, you have to go and experience them in a way that it becomes personal knowledge. Like you can't understand certain things by reading about them. You just have to go and know them through experience. Can you share some of your experiences or some of the more maybe profound experiences you had on this quest over the last eight years? Because I mean, there's a long list here, Derek. I don't know what success meant to you, crystal elixirs, let's say. You know, I don't know if success meant just learning about it and being able to create an elixir, or if it meant creating an elixir that would, I don't know what a crystal elixir does. I'm just pulling one example, but yeah, that would a great you know, example. have a certain effect. You know, this goes back to like the quest st- structure, I guess, but what was your approach to kind of each of these things? Like, how did you decide what was deep enough to count it as, okay, check, I did that? Yeah. Well, let's just talk about crystal elixir since you brought it up. Um, That's kind of something that I've been experimenting with. Um, We know there's a lot of science, good, you know, physical science uh, around water and memory. And for example, you can, um, you can program water with different uh, memories and it will retain those memories and you can get the data back from the water. Water is an interesting medium. That's kind of what the uh, science medicine of um, homeopathy is based around. It's a frequential based, uh, medicine. So things go in and out of coherence. Um, and so I thought, oh my gosh, I could do that with crystals because crystals have their own unique 
uh, crystalline structure with which is its own uh, sort of frequency, right? Remember, if the physical world is just a byproduct, to create a crystal is a very pure note. Think of think of it like a like a music note, right? Something very pure is a is a nice clear note, and um, I can I could transfer that frequency from the crystal into the water. And then because the body, human body is largely water, um, the body then could, you know, you could consume the elixir and harmonize with the frequencies that were imbued within it. So it's like transferring um, certain frequency. So then the question is, well, let's try it and see what happens. So I've made certain elixirs for certain things like a love potion, um, a wealth potion, things like that. And then I just gave them out to people and said, you know, drink this every day uh, for a month and tell me what happens. It was like a bottle of water that you had infused with the frequency of the crystal, let's say, and you give it to them, drink it for a month. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So either they could say, I didn't notice anything. They could say, I noticed something that wasn't, you know, part of what I expected. And this is just basic experimental science. You you come up with a hypothesis. My hypothesis is that this water will help this person experience more inspiration if they drink it every day, right? So it's a testable hypothesis, yes or no. Um, give it to a bunch of people. They try it. And then I start to get feedback like, oh my gosh, I, you know, had uh, – <laughs> more intimate moments with my partner in the last month than I have in the last year. And it was only during this window that I was drinking this love potion. Interesting correlation. Maybe we should study it further. So a lot of these experiences are at the point where there's some preliminary interesting data that could be taken further, but I'll probably just leave them at that level until someone comes and wants to like do a, double blind study on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, Hey, I'm curious about this. Let's dive in. Let's see. Let's just see, basically see what happens. <laughs> I mean, see how, how much fun it is to be friends with Derek. He might show up one day and be like, Hey, Jason, you know, by the way, drink this, you're going to be rich in a month. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, the, the wealth potions that I've given people, like they message me like, a month or two later, like, hey, I just hit six figures for the first time. My new business. Uh, it's amazing. Could be any number of factors, right? You can't necessarily disentangle all these factors from one another, but hopefully it helped. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or it, could it be that in that scenario that you're just getting it top of mind? You're, you're infusing them with an intention, even if the water is not infused or I guess it's infused, but you know what I mean? It's just the idea of, wow, I'm consuming this thing and this is happening and now I'm thinking about this and it's part of my daily thought process. I mean, it all works together, right? Yeah. I mean, the placebo effect is well documented and it's more effective than most pharmaceuticals. So why aren't we taking advantage of it more? (laughs) (laughs) True. What are you drinking right now? (laughs) uh this is just uh just good old holy water nice number one here let me just give people the number one spiritual practice they can do that's really easy there's uh there's some good science behind um 
like if you go to Lourdes or one of these sacred sites where there's holy water that has healing properties, like well-documented scientific healing properties, like if you immerse yourself in the water, you can take a drop of that water and amplify it. So you can turn any water into holy water. Um, and there's also these studies um, done by Dean Radin where he made um, holy chocolate, where he took two different groups of people. This is a double-blind uh placebo-controlled study. He took two groups and sent one group ordinary chocolate bars and another group chocolate bars that had been blessed by monks and had them eat the chocolate for a week. And the people who ate the blessed holy chocolate had improvements in blood pressure, uh, different metabolic characteristics, heart rate variability, their overall scores of well-being went up, their sleep scores went up. Basically, they they proved that you can turn chocolate holy and that it does improve health when you eat it. And you can do the same thing with water. Uh, and so I advise everyone to bless their water before they drink it and it will improve your health. That's like the easiest spiritual metaphysical practice that you can do. And how do you, how do you do that? What do you, do you have certain words that you say or? Uh, I use the Hawaiian Ho'oponopono prayer, which is uh, basically four lines in any order. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. But you can simplify it. If you're just doing water, you can just say, you know, I love you water. Thank you water. That's, oh. that's simple enough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the other experiences i want to hear more about was there one that stood out that was really have you had a a deep mystical experience for example or something that really kind of even took you by surprise throughout this uh, quest i'm at the point where like i've seen <laughs> enough crazy stuff that i that there's like nothing nothing is impossible for me which is kind of a cool place to be you just go down your list and and um we'll let your intuition Pick the right one to talk about. Okay. Well, let's talk about intuition before I pick something else on the list because that's something that comes a lot comes up a lot in the show, comes up a lot in my life. You want to tap into it and then you want to not only tap into it, but you want to be able to parse out your, your thinking mind and not let it dissuade you from something that you feel like you intuitively need to do, even if it doesn't make sense. I have a, it's such a funny story. Uh, my friend just... Um, I was sending him actually, I'm wearing magnetite crystals, um, magnetite protects the body from magnetic fluctuations. It stabilizes your personal magnetic field, which is tied to your emotions. So whenever there's solar flares or dramatic, uh, galactic activity, that's bombarding the earth with high energy, uh, ray radiation or magnetic waves or anything. Um, if it blows out the earth's magnetic covering, uh, it can really affect people's emotions, make them sick. It can make you extra emotional. All kinds of things can happen that you don't really want to feel. So the magnetite sort of helps protect against that. So I sent him to get some magnetite. He's living, uh, in another nomad. He's living in Mexico city at the moment. And so he went to find, there's a particular part of town where all the rock shops are. And he was like, I should go to that little podunk one but it was all the way by itself. And then the rest were sort of the next block down. And he was like, nah. And he talked himself out of it. 
So he, he got the intuition, I should go to this shop. Then he talked himself out of it because circumstances said he was more likely to find what he's looking for where there's more shops together. He went through all the shops that are together, didn't find what he's looking for. They all closed. This one little shop was still open and he walked by it and he's like, oh, fine, I'll go in. And of course, right there was the exact thing that he was looking for. And he had that intuition at the beginning to go there. So he basically, you know, circumstances proved his intuition right. And it also showed him how he ignored it based on rationality. So a lot of times our rational mind thinks it knows best and we can override our intuition. So the more you get good data, the more you get good evidence around your accuracy of your intuition, like my friend circumstance, then you can begin to trust your intuition more and know what it feels like. And that's a big practice for people to learn to trust their intuition ahead of their rationality. Yeah. And it's not always easy. (laughs) Society can make that dang tough, let's say sometimes. (laughs) My dad, you know, I think a lot of people in the old days would say this, um, he was like, you should make a list of pros and cons when you want to make a decision and weigh them. And I was like, okay, did you ever make a list of pros and cons and then do the thing that you didn't know that you should do or that you didn't want to do? And he was like, no, I just, I always did whatever I wanted to do anyway. So <laughs> it was really a useless exercise to appease the rational mind, which is like chatter, 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 make a good decision, do the, do a process, do a form, do a system. And then you just do the thing that's the right thing for you anyway. I think this is interesting because you come from a science background and that is all about the process, right? So there's a time and place for the process. I had to understand the limits of science and also the, how humans do science. Um, Like how we've constructed our academia, how we've constructed our means of funding research and how people believe each other and, you know, more than 50% of scientific articles are fraudulent. There is a scientific study that proved that. Um, so either that study is fraudulent or the other 50% are fraudulent. And because there's a lot of human motivations around the results you get as a scientist. So everyone is motivated to get a positive result that will further their career. And there's a lot of falsification of data. This happens all the time. And I needed to go through the whole academic community to become aware of all that. Oh, what should I pull off the list here? Moldavite magic? What's that? Ah, Moldavite. I'm wearing some Moldavite right now. Let me see if I can hold it up to the camera. Oh, is that that Um, ring? Okay. That's that's weird because I was just looking at that ring, man. And then I picked that off the list. Oh, oh, (laughs) zap. It zapped you. (laughs) Tell Um, me about it. Yeah, Moldavite is a very special stone or crystal. It's a form of tektite, which is uh, when you get a meteoric impact that is an extraterrestrial object smashing into the earth, creates this sort of molten explosion. And the terrestrial, the earth material, fuses with the extraterrestrial material, and it forms this Uh, molten silicate-based glass, which then rains down in droplet form. 
This one happens to be very unique and rare. It's the only green meteoric glass. And it's um, in metaphysical communities, it's known as sort of the highest uh, frequency stone. Uh, it's associated with the Holy Grail um, and the Sorcerer's uh, Stone, or that's the Harry Potter version. The uh, what is <laughs> the, the what is the um, <laughs> no the Philosopher's Stone is the Harry Potter the Philosopher's version. Stone. Yeah, yeah, it's associated yeah. with the Philosopher's Stone, which is basically when you when you dig into the uh, ancient wisdom around this, the Philosopher's Stone is actually you, um, and you become through a process of personal alchemy, you become someone who embodies Christ consciousness. That's what the philosopher's stone enables you to do. And this physical stone, Moldavite itself, enables one to speed up that process of moving towards Christ consciousness. Okay. Are you religious? Uh, no, I grew up as a Christian, but um, no, not religious at all. Do you, what do you think Religious is uh, more programming. What do you think happens when you die? Well, there's a lot of good research uh, on the science side about exactly what happens when you die and what order research into reincarnation and, and things like that, both from people who die and then come back and they have memories from the time they're dead or from kids who remember who they were in their previous lifetime, things that can be validated like I was a pig farmer in Iowa. My name was such and such. My siblings' names were such and such. And you can go and validate all that stuff. What happens when we die? We uh, most, most of us are, are reincarnating again as humans. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. But that's uh, a big part of the, the Earth's process right now. Yeah. It's interesting that we're talking about this because I have uh, been going on a binge of uh – near-death experience videos lately mm. <laughs> so we're having one of the uh one of the near-deathers on the podcast on an upcoming show so it'll be oh cool interesting yeah what have you me. learned from from that study that there are a lot of commonalities across the board for people that have these experiences and to me that is it's very encouraging it's very inspiring and it's very um reassuring I guess I would say in the way it's described. A lot of us are, especially in the Western world, we're hesitant to talk about death and we're also afraid of it on some level, right? We don't want to be, but I think it's empowering to think about it often. And, you know, you can choose to believe a lot of things. And when I hear a lot of stories and a lot of them, the, the content of those stories and what people experienced after they died matches up, I should say. I mean, that tells me something, but you know, to each his own, right? Everybody, everybody's got to believe the things that they want to believe or that they feel is right for them. And who knows? Yeah. One thing I learned from working with a shaman is that death is, is the one thing that's always with you when you are a human. Um, it's as soon as you're born, you know that there's an end. It's part of, part of the human experience. So your whole life, death is with you. And it's simply a path that you're walking on until the moment that you die. And they often call it when you leave the body. 
and they see the body as sort of a vehicle that the soul is paired with. Um, but when you realize that death is always with you, it forces you to walk a path in such a way that you enjoy the walking. That is to say that it fills you with love and joy and excitement and gratitude because you're going to end up at death no matter what. So it forces you to really fully live. Mm. Yeah. I think it's a a huge motivator, you know, because it is, it's, that's the truth, man. (laughs) So it's, you know, if you want to go skiing in Bulgaria, better to make time for it sooner than later. (laughs) All right. I know the sacred plant medicines have had a big effect on you. Do you want to talk about your experience? This is tied in with travel experiences for many people, right? You travel to Peru, for example, do ayahuasca and in, in indigenous setting or um, other places. Yeah. I mean, what is, has been your experience with the sacred plant medicines? Yeah, I've done ayahuasca and, and mushrooms. And at this point, I've stopped. Um, and I will say for anyone that wants to do it, it's best to do it with someone who has, uh, enough experience and personal power to, uh, bring you back if you, if you need to be brought back. And that is to say a real shaman will be able to reintegrate your non-physical aspects with your physical aspects properly. And if you don't have confidence that the person you're doing a journey with can do that, then wait until you find the right person. Um, and so plant medicine is is like a key or a portal. And then you still have to step through that portal and explore on the other side. At this point, uh, I don't need those keys, those particular keys uh, anymore. But they're phenomenal for anybody that's first. Uh, and we talked about beliefs. Um, they're really great for helping you loosen your attachment to your beliefs Um, because there's so many new things on the other side of (laughs) ayahuasca or, or mushrooms or any of these. Um, And they also show you so many parts of yourself that you weren't aware of. There's a lot of healing that happens in these types of ceremonies, a lot of guidance, a lot of awakenings. When I first did ayahuasca, I was doing it with my, my girlfriend at the time and uh, we did a multi-day ceremony and the first night, and I, this was so, it was such a kind of a messy circumstances, not messy, but I was dating multiple people at the same time. And at that first night of that ceremony, I was like, oh, I'm in love with Heidi, not these other, not these other women. And I told her, and, and I also told her, I was like, I think, I think we're supposed to have babies together. Like, I think if I'm going to have kids, it's going to be with you. And then she was like, well, that's great because I'm pregnant. And I was like, whoa, no way. <laughs> and then that was a whole, you know, the rest of the like three-day ceremony was just a whole uh, <laughs> whole different experience after that. Wow. What was the experience after that? Becoming a dad and transitioned and all that stuff? Yeah. Well, the next night, then I was like, oh. I'm going to be a dad. I got to get get my together. And so I basically (laughs) spent the whole night dealing with decades worth of 
things that I was ashamed about or things that I didn't like about myself or, you know, my, my shadow side. Um, I just did all that work all at once. It was a single most painful experience. Like I died many times in a single night, um, you know, physical pain, nausea, vomiting, shakes, burning the whole nine. And then at the end of the night, I was ready to be a dad, all sorted, you know, totally fine at peace with everything about myself. And here we go. Ready to be a dad. (laughs) What timing. (laughs) Vocal transformation. What's that about? I love audio. I love music. I love vocals. I like transformation. Sounds like it could be fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is a methodology discovered, pioneered, created by my friend Marin, um, who happens to be one of the most enlightened people that I have met. And she is um, uh, many decades practicing Tibetan Buddhist. She's also trained for decades with the Peruvian shamans in administering ayahuasca. And she's also a uh, trained Broadway singer. So she's intimately aware of sound and frequency and vibration and the voice. And training the body and the voice is a way of training how we create reality. And it's also understanding how our physical bodies process the experiences that we go through as a human. And so it's um, it's a very both fun and profound way of, um, you know, everybody's talking about trauma these days. I'm not that interested in talking about it, but there's a lot of, it doesn't have to be traumatic experiences. It just has to be even unresolved experiences like that you don't fully understand about anything in your past that's affecting you, but you don't know how exactly it's affecting you can be looked at through this work, this vocal transformation work. It also helps you just learn to breathe and speak and sing properly, which is wonderful. Yeah. Cause on the surface, it sounds like you're changing your voice, vocal transformation. Is that what, are you finding different voices to heal? You, you change your voice, but you also use your voice to change you. Okay. And you permanently change your voice or what's the once you train your body to breathe properly, then your voice will become more resonant. It will have more variation. You can use it more powerfully without it getting tired. I see. Some, okay. You know, a lot of the things you could learn as a trained public speaker or Broadway singer. Okay. So it's like, yeah, like vocal training, but with sort of healing and awareness around, yeah, technique. And that's interesting. Uh, you have some kind of course coming up, I guess, on telepathy, I guess. Talk about that. How do you teach people this? Or what are some of your experiences with that? Give us the lowdown. Yeah. Um, So we all have some level of telepathy, which is great. Great news. Um, You might have experienced it when you know who's calling you. Like the phone rings and you know who it's going to be and you look, oh, it is. That's who it was. Or when you feel yourself being stared at and you look and then there's someone staring at you. That's a great example. That's such a common one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's been some really fun experiments where they like, 
they had people, they put them behind one-way mirrors and stared at them and they knew, and then they put them on like a CCTV camera and they still knew when they were being stared at. So there's, it's not bound by proximity or direct line of sight even. What other examples? This happens to to my family all the time where uh, I will have a song in my head and my wife will put it on. And uh, then it becomes a question of, did I perceive that she was about to put the song on or was the song in my head and she picked it out of me, out of my head and wanted to put it on because she liked it? So whose was it first or did it exist in the ether and we both picked up on it at the same time? So sometimes it's very hard to tell like where the idea came from or if you've ever been in a conversation with friends and you're, you say something and they're like, oh my gosh, I was just thinking the same thing. That's a great idea. Um, it's not clear where the thought originated. I've had lots of people tell me they realized they were telepathic when they they were at the grocery store and they started thinking like, oh, I should really get that steak and they're a vegetarian or something. Or like they started thinking like, oh, that person's really attractive when they're not attracted to that type of people at all. And then they realized it was the person next to them's thoughts that they were picking up or tuning into. And I've had hundreds and hundreds of comments on social media where people are telling me their experiences of when they realized they were experiencing telepathy. So because again, of societal programming that says telepathy is not real or, or whatever, most people don't think they have telepathy, but everyone has telepathy. It's just because again, the physical world is a byproduct of consciousness. Telepathy is actually more fundamental than sight or hearing or any of the five physical senses. Um, But it becomes, again, a matter of training yourself through practice to trust the information that you're getting because we all get telepathic information in a different way. We all get it unique to us. So sometimes people get it more like visual. Sometimes they get words spoken to them. Sometimes they get an inner knowing And there's just different ways that the information gets processed through us. Um, So a telepathy course, which I teach with a well-known Danish telepath um, named Dita Young. And she's really famous for working with uh, animals. She works with the Danish um, Olympic horse uh, team. And she works with a lot of nonverbal autistics, uh, families that have children that can't speak will bring their kids to her so that they can communicate and understand what their kid wants and needs. Um, and she's been studied by, by at least four scientific teams from different universities. The practice of teaching telepathy is, is teaching yourself how to be open to the information and then trusting yourself of what you're getting. So we go through in our course, we go through, you know, here's a photo in an envelope. What's the photo. That's really some of the basics. Then we go to talking to animals, like we do um, a medical history analysis. So what's wrong with the animal in this picture? And then we can validate that against the known medical history of the animal, right? So you have um, lots of examples for yourself about your accuracy. So in the in the uh, military program where they, you know, the CIA psychic spy program, doing remote viewing and things like that, um, the Russians were doing it, so this, the Americans started doing it. Um, basically, they wanted each 
agent to have a score of reliability. You know, this person's 93% accurate when remote viewing military bases, and that can be validated uh, on a statistical level. So you, you're basically building this for yourself. How much confidence and what is the confidence interval in the accuracy of your information? So the training process is just exercises and, and practices to help you um, prove to yourself that you're an accurate telepath. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, cause I was curious, how do you, how do you teach something like this? But then when you laid it out, that makes sense. And all those examples you said, I mean, everybody's experienced those things, right? I just did the other day when you said it was with my daughter, it was literally yesterday. I think I, I can't remember what it was. It was either a song or something. And she just like said it and I thought it and she said it. And it was like out of like an infinite number of things, you know, I, I don't even know how it happened. It was really cool. And yeah, okay, so you're listening to this, you might be thinking, well, that's just coincidence or whatever. And again, this goes back to, I mean, that's a good example of like, you know, do you look at a situation like that and say, oh, we're all telepathic? Or do you look at it and say, that's just coincidence? Or I mean, this is what makes the world beautiful, right? Everybody's got different opinions and feelings and ways they live their life and things they might want to believe or not want to believe and are open to and not open to. And that's part of what's fun in this conversation. It's just fun to, at least for me, I feel like it's cool to just hear what's out there. I'm curious person. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to believe me about anything. And if you're listening and something feels really true or right or exciting for you, that's probably something to pay attention to. And if something, if you just want to reject it outright, then by all means do that too. Well, you know, this kind of goes back to just the quest thing we're talking about in the beginning. I feel like everything has value, right? There's always these valuable lessons to be learned from pursuits, other people, their experiences. I find it interesting to to delve into things that I don't know a lot about because you get exposed to a whole new set of principles and ideas and then it just informs the other stuff you do right in your regular life right? The more you kind of stretch out and, and explore things that might be, you know, either strange to you on the surface or just different or that, you know, you don't know anything about, but you're just getting into it. And it just starts, it just opens you up in a different way. It's, it's like travel in that way. I mean, that was one of the, the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. It's just like the, the whole quest thing and diving into something that's, you don't know a lot about and that you're exploring you're, you're it's self-exploration, when it comes down to it, it's all self-exploration, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, having the experience as a traveler is actually train is, you know, really good preparation for me to do this metaphysical quest because uh, a good traveler has a bias towards novelty. You know, if someone presents them with the opportunity to try something new, right. a good traveler is probably going to be like, yeah, let's, you know, <laughs> yeah. never been to a, a Bulgarian nightclub before. Well, let's go. That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, so there's that quote in Fight Club. It's like, how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Well, you can just substitute anything for a fight. Like, how much can you know about yourself if you've never practiced telepathy? How much mm. can you know about yourself if you've never whatever? Mm. And then you might as well try it. Don't believe me. Just try it. <laughs> All right. I, I have one more. And then I know we can't go through the whole list today because you, you're probably wanting to talk oh, about <laughs> at this point. But okay. So you had, I know you, you had fairly recently, because I, I saw it on LinkedIn, you had been 
uh, inviting people to learn time bending. And then another thing on your list was time travel and time dilation. When I've talked about time bending on the show, I might be a different thing you're referring to, but we, uh, you know, this has come up on the show where we feel like, you know, having the travel experience is time bending in a way because it, you know, you've been, we've all been, I think on these week long or shorter trip, maybe a 10 day trip or even a month or whatever, but it feels like you lived a lifetime or many months because you had so many experiences, you know? And I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to or if there's something else that you're referring to with the time stuff. But yeah, talk about the experience of what you did experimenting with time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good um, foot in the door for a lot of people that have experienced that kind of flow state where they realize time is a little bit malleable. And and again, let's go back to the, the nature of consciousness being fundamental. So we can, we can control and manipulate any aspect of our reality through our consciousness, through our thoughts and attention. Um, and you know, this, this, uh, particular workshop, which I, which I gave, which people can, can now, um, get the replay on my, on my site. Um, there's some foundational science, which I talk about, but, but basically, you know, humans experience time as linear, you know, I go through life one moment to the next, but that's not true all throughout the universe. And there's some correlations between gravity and our experience of time. And the reason I, the reason this is important is because most people want more time. Most people wish their day was a little bit longer so they could get more done, so they could be more productive, so they could spend more time with their kids or family or whatever. They just want more time. So I hear this all all the time, but it's not that they want more time. It's that they want certain set of experiences. They want to feel like they have the the capacity to be relaxed with their family and not worry about upcoming work week. Or they want to complete their tasks on time so that they don't take it with them when they go home to their family or any of those things. So those are actually slightly different than wanting more time. So partly it's a practice of beginning to teach yourself how to have those experiences. And then the other half is is using that to stretch or shrink our experience of clock time. Um, So sometimes you want time to go faster. Like if you're driving across the country and you want to be there now, wouldn't it be great if we could make time go a little bit faster and you could just be there? Um, Or I remember as a kid thinking uh, at certain points, like I wish that I could be done with this exam. Like I know I have to take a one hour exam, but I kind of wish that I was at the end already. Yeah, I don't want to write that essay. It's, it's such yeah. a pain. <laughs> um, so sometimes you want to make time speed up, but most of the time you want to stretch it out. So that the, the fun way that listeners can start to play around with time is first you have to, let's say you, you, want, to, you want to squeeze a longer activity into a shorter amount of time. The first thing you have to do is not think about time. You have to think about what it feels like to, let's say, and my first practice with this was I wanted to do a long two-hour workout, and I had about 50 minutes to do it in. So uh, I made sure not to think about time or look at any clocks 
during the whole process and I did everything that I wanted to do, long warm up, weightlifting sessions, stretching, cool down, etc. and I got home in precisely the right time. So what I was really after was getting every the full experience out of my workout and not being late for dinner. So I I held the experience of being on time for dinner as my primary attention and focus during this time. And when I came home precisely on time, having done a two hour workout in 50 minutes plus travel time, um, I realized that uh, it's actually quite easy to, to bend time in that way. So anybody can do this, shift your focus away from time uh, and, and clock time to the feeling that you're hoping to achieve. Like I want to be in the right place at the right time. I want to be finished on time. I want to be, you know, on time for my meeting. That's what you really want and focus on that instead. I had a, an experience this morning where we changed the clocks here and I forgot to turn my alarm clock back the hour. And so that's another trick. <laughs> i'm kidding of course no that happened though (laughs) i woke up and uh i was i was like um yeah can i turn the light on to my wife you know because i I, she's getting up probably in the next five minutes and she's like yeah but i'm not ready to get up and she's like do you know it's six o'clock like my alarm went off before six and i usually get up an hour later then i was like oh okay I accidentally time bent this morning, Derek. And then, uh, so then I laid back down and I was like, man, that was, wasn't that a cozy feeling getting back into a warm bed. That was a bonus 20 minutes in bed. And then I got up and did yoga and still had a, a morning. So that was cool. If anything can prove that, you know, we can all bend time. It's that we all do it twice a year in a lot of countries. Anyway. <laughs> so true. What were some of your favorite resources that you consumed throughout this process? Uh, anything that you want to share here that you think can add some value? Yeah, there's a book called Mind to Matter. I believe that was Dawson Church's book. And it won a bunch of science communication awards. But it's um, probably has over a thousand cited references and and studies um, of different ways that sort of prove how how we create material reality. So that's a really helpful one um, for people that like to to learn from from reading um, about this stuff. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself through this whole process? Uh, I learned we can do anything. <laughs> there's this there's this key and peel uh key and peel sketch where he's like interviewing an athlete after winning the championship and he's like i can do anything kids you can fly go and jump off your house and the and the reporter's like nope nope don't listen to that guy like don't do it <laughs> the the reason we can't do that is because um too many people are creating uh, a certain reality where you can't fly. But if we all collectively agreed that we could fly, then we could fly. And so all of wait, you but what people about the physical that are laws? holding me back. What about, wait a minute. What about the physical yeah. laws of gravity? We they would change. Fly. They would change? Yeah. 
Because of mass consciousness? Exactly. <laughs> wow. Really? Yep. Yeah, the physics we experience uh, is particular by, it's by collective agreement, essentially. That, see that, that, I, I can't get my head around that. But I haven't done any of the reading on it, so I won't, I'll just stay open. Like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, the awareness about the, um, the earth being the center versus the sun being the center of the solar system. Um, it's possible that it was actually true that for some time the earth was the center of the solar system and that when enough people believed that the sun was centered, that the actual structure of the solar system changed. And I had this awareness recently because flat earth is, uh, becoming more popular, I think, uh, experiencing a resurgence and it's actually could be simultaneously true for us that believe in a sphere or a globe for it to be true for us and for a flat earth to be true for flat earthers simultaneously. And that perhaps the most appropriate way to think about earth is an infinite plane that we are again, rendering in real time, uh, to match our, um, collective agreements. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's a reality. It's interpretation. Uh, It's their specific interpretation. I mean, if a flat earther flies around the world, they're still going to end up going around the world. They're not going to drop off of an edge of the world. Uh, but you know, some of the things that you're sharing here, it's, it's like, I'm sure there are plenty of scientists, you come from a scientific background, they're going to be like, well, hold on, wait, wait a minute here. I got the telepathy example, but now you're telling us if we all thought differently, we could fly. (laughs) That sounds wild. (laughs) And nightly dream time is, um, great practice for people because you're instantly not bound by the same rules of physics. Um, so it's it's a great way of show, showing yourself what's possible, right? You can fly anytime in a dream. Um, and yet, that's still us. We're, we're flying. Um, so why why not? What's the physics of dream world? Um, you know, that's a pretty accessible uh, part of reality for a lot of people. Um, so it's a, it's a f- fertile ground for exploration about what really is possible. And then why do we have these particular constraints while we're awake versus sleep? You know, what's exactly going on with physics there? Um, there's a lot, there's a lot more to learn um, from dream time. How do you control your dreams or how do you use your dreams to be more creative or to enhance your waking life? Let's say. Yeah, there's, there's different levels. Um, the easiest and most accessible level for people, even before you get into lucid dreaming and controlling your dreams is just remembering your dreams. Your dreams have a lot of information and experiences in them. So you need to be able to remember them when you wake up. And that starts with um, putting a notebook next to your bed and writing them down as soon as you wake up so they don't drift away. You know, dreams drift away pretty quick if you turn your attention elsewhere. Um, So you need to prepare and plan to record your dreams. And then you can begin to ask questions in your dreams. So let's say you want to learn about uh, where you're going to find more customers for your business or where you should move, what country you should go to next, or where 
what circumstances you'll find your romantic partner. Any of these can be asked uh, of your dream time self and you will get good information back. I I do like to try to remember or work on a problem that I'm facing before I go to bed with, I, I have full confidence my, that my subconscious mind, however that works when you're sleeping, it's not necessarily through dreams, but that your subconscious mind is kind of sorting it out. And sometimes it takes, sometimes it's the next day. Sometimes it takes two weeks, but eventually you get the thing you, you were missing. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. It's uh, you know, you can be persistent. You can ask, the same question every night until you get the answer. Or if you get an answer back and it feels incomplete, you can ask for clarification or please expand subconscious on what you meant by that. Like for example, when we were deciding to buy this house that I'm in right now, I said, should we get this house? And uh, I got this this dream of me driving a convertible uh, with a crane on the back and it was lowering a tortoise down into the convertible next to me. And I was like, I think that's a yes, but I can't really tell. So can you please clarify? <laughs> um, you know, because it's like, what does that even mean? What does the turtle mean? I don't know. Um, you mean the next night you asked a follow-up question? <laughs> exactly. I was like, could you please give me the same guidance in a way that I actually get this time? And the next night, the answer was me lighting a fire in the fireplace. And I was like, okay. That feels like home. Thank you. And then mm. I bought the house. <laughs> I love your stories. <laughs> That's great, man. All right. So in that scenario, I'll, I'll, I promise I'm going to let you go in a minute. In that scenario, was the guidance coming from yourself or was the guidance coming from the source or whatever, the universe or whatever you want to believe? Yeah. So this is where... Um, a good ex understanding of the different dimensions and how consciousness uh, is observed and interacts with each dimension, but there's a higher self. And a lot of this guidance will be coming from your higher self, which, um, you know, we talked earlier about reincarnation and things like that. The higher self is that version of you that perceives all your lifetimes simultaneously. And so it has a broader understanding of how all the experiences of all the lifetimes fit together. And you can get better guidance about little decisions from the current life you're in, you know, related to the quest of the overall objective of the soul as a unit. So how do you say that with such conviction? How do you know that that's, that's what it is? Well, there's a lot of evidence. Uh, and then that can kind of create a map for you. Right. But it's, if you're trying to understand it as a human 3d, you're going to be limited. Right. But you have to, a lot of this understanding, you have to go beyond who you think you are, which is only a tiny piece of who you really are. If you want to access higher levels of yourself, there's, you know, ancient traditions throughout the world from dream time to plant medicines, to breath work, to near death experiences, right? They all give you access to higher levels of awareness. 
that you can then bring back for useful direction in this lifetime. This was fun, man. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Do you uh, want to share share whatever you want here? People can find you, all that good stuff. Sure, yeah. Um, the podcast is the Derek Lauder Milk Show. Um, some travel interviews these days, more metaphysical interviews, science and spirituality, often um, you know, looking at the evidence for a lot of these things, so it's kind of fun. Um, and then we have a telepathy course that's coming out probably um, November, December of 23 that you can take uh, with my collaborator and I. And then uh, at Derek Loudermilk on all the socials. I'll read a quote that you put out on one of your socials here. Uh, there should be an option where you can parachute out of a commercial airline if it flies over your house. That would save time. So I just wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> that was just a I mean, couple it's days true, ago. isn't it? It might be a little inconvenient for the other passengers. Like every, you know, twenty minutes, somebody's just like opening the door and see you later. Bye. <laughs> well, because uh, this, my mother-in-law was visiting, and I knew she, her flight was delayed, and I knew that the uh, my um, brother-in-law was going to have to go pick her up, and it was like going to because they're in California, so it was like two hours of commuting time just to get the airport. But I knew the flight path went directly over her house, and um, because my brother-in-law is a is a paratrooper, we've we've done that jump like basically right over their house, and so I was like, huh, if she was a trained skydiver, she could just jump out and just arrive at home. How awesome would that be? And then I was like, yeah, we should we should just do that. <laughs> I mean, what an entrance, right? Yeah, just like <laughs> here she comes. Well, uh, I will set an intention to meet up with you in a dream for a coffee or something. We can <laughs> meet up at Dreamtime Dream Time Cafe. That's a thing, you know. My my kids and I do it. We, Does it work? We agree, we agree on a uh, place where we'll meet up in Dream World. Yeah. And then we, we show up. And then if we both have dreams, like where we remember each other, we'll tell it to our wife, uh, their their mom, my wife, first, um, so she can validate the evidence. So we we cross reference our dreams with a third, a neutral third party, to see if the data matches. And has it worked? Yeah, we're actually shopping for our next house because of data from from a code dream. Where did the house thing come from? That was actually uh, unintentional code dreaming where my son and I were both on the same street in front of our future house. Um, and we found the, the actual house and it's currently for sale. Okay. Co-dreaming. All right. I'll try it. So I just say to my kids, Hey, we're going to, we're going to meet up in our dreams, uh, at some predetermined place, like the living room or whatever. Mm -hmm. Here they come. And then, uh, and then we validate that. Oh, they brought me a scary banana. There you go. Um, and they validate. Thank you. Um, all right. We'll try that tonight. I'll let you know. And I'll meet you at the Dreamtime Cafe. Thanks for Love coming it. on the show, Derek. Much appreciated. Thanks, Jason. Good to see you. All right. Cheers. There you have it. Thanks for listening. I love that guy, Derek. Thank you very much for being on the show. Who knows what kind of quest he's going to come up with next. And I wonder, coming out of this, do you have an idea 
for a quest, a local quest, a travel quest, a skills acquisition quest. Curious. If you do and you decide to pursue it, let me know. Get in touch. I leave a link to my voicemail box in every show notes right up and also zero to travel.com slash newsletter. You can sign up for free for the newsletter there. And you can always get in touch via email, Jason at zero to travel.com. Okay. I'll leave you with a quote to wrap this one up. Had to find something around metaphysics. This one is from Joseph Jalbert who said, logic works, metaphysics contemplates. And I'll leave you with that. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.